to change. How many of you know that there's almost nothing God won't allow in your life if he sees there's a need for change? I've experienced it in my own life, and I know you have too, but as we look at the the brothers of Joseph, we still see that God's not done. He's not quite finished with them yet. He's gotten their attention all right. He's made them come to grips with their sin all right, but they've neither sought nor received forgiveness yet. So God continues forward. The brothers have been brought before Joseph. They spent a little time in jail, and they head home with food. But their brother Simeon must stay in jail until they come back. And when they come back, they were given strict instructions that they were not to return without their youngest brother, Benjamin. On their way home, they're both surprised and frightened to find out that the money that one of them brought to pay for food is in one of the sacks of grain that they bought. And they're convinced that God is wanting to do something to them. Imagine that, that God would try to do something to them when here in their time of need, God not only worked it out that they got the food they needed, God worked it out that they got the food they needed and they got it for free. Imagine that God would do such a thing. But instead of thanking them, instead of thanking God, the brothers accuse him of being out to get them. As the story continues today, we're going to see three ways that that Jacob demonstrates a doubting heart as he addresses any way that he might be able to save his family from an incredible and severe famine. First, we're going to see that Jacob responds with fear. With fear. Chapter 42 of Genesis, beginning in verse 29. Follow along with me. Then they, the brothers, went to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is lord over the land spoke roughly to us. That was Joseph. And he took us for spies in the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. Right? Oh, but daddy, we're honest men. We're honest men, not spies. We are 12 brothers, the son of our father. One is no more. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Joseph. And the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so that I shall know you are not spies, but that you are so-called honest men. I will grant you your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly... Every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were sorely afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke. The oldest son spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you and put him in my hands. And I will bring him back to you. 
But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow all the way to the grave. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we find ourselves in the pits quite often in this life. Lord, I pray that today you would teach us not to respond with a doubting heart. We want you to be glorified even when our life is the pits. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So Jacob hears the story that the boys have to say. He immediately digs in his heels. He concludes that God has struck him with yet another tragedy. But you know, the story of Joseph, it has uh, three different reactions to hardship that God reveals to us, three different reactions to hardship that are common to you and I. See which one you respond to uh, when hardship comes your way. First, there's Joseph. Joseph sees suffering coming from the hand of a loving heavenly father who has his best interests at heart. He says in chapter 50, You, my brothers, meant all this for evil, but God meant it for good. Then there's the response of Joseph's brothers. They saw what was happening to them as punishment, that they were being punished at the hands of a very angry God. But then there's the father, Jacob, who sees the hardship in the hand of fate and the stupidity of his own sons that's making his life miserable. Three responses. You and I go through them the same way. You either blame God, you blame somebody else, or you praise God even in the midst of a difficult situation. But we saw there in the scriptures that Jacob said to his brothers, you want to take everything I got. Joseph's gone. Simeon's gone. And now you want to take Benjamin? I don't think so. If you have your way, I'll be left with nothing. Have you ever felt like Jacob? Have you ever felt like everything and everyone was going against you? I felt that way before. Sadly, though, Jacob did the same thing that me and you do. Jacob left out one of the, or he left out the most important ingredient out of the equation. He forgot who was in charge. He forgot who was in control. Jacob forgot God, that God was in control of this horrible situation. Here was Jacob's prime opportunity to cast all the focus, to cast all the attention on the Lord his God. But it seems that Jacob still had trouble walking by faith, even though he had known the Lord for well over 100 years. As the head of the family, as the man of God that Jacob was called to be, here's what he should have been saying. He should have been saying, boys... I know that things look bad. I know that things look tough. But we have to trust in God's promises. Let's just get down on our knees. Let's pray for the safety of Benjamin. Let's pray for Simeon, who is in the jail at, Simeon's, or at Pharaoh's prison. And let's pray for your safe return. There's a reason. That God put that money in your sack. There's a reason it's there. There's a reason that God wants you to return to Egypt. 
We don't have all the answers. But we can trust the Lord our God. But instead of responding that way, Jacob reacts out of fear. He says, forget it. Benjamin's not going, and that's final. Period. But I wondered as I read that verse, had Jacob forgotten his wrestling match with God decades before? Do you remember the one I'm talking about where Jacob wrestled with God and he held on to God no matter what? And eventually God said, okay, I will bless you and bless the life of your family. You'll receive my blessing." But had Jacob forgotten the reason that he limped around all of his life? Had he forgotten that the reason he limped around was because he had received a covenant blessing from God? You know, it's so easy for you and I to to say, being that we know how the story ends, it's easy for us to say, well, if that were me, I wouldn't have done that. If that was me, I would have trusted God. But really, when hardship comes your way, do you really trust him? What about the very last difficulty you faced in this life? Did you trust God 100% or did you do like I do? You worried a little bit. Amen? Why didn't you remember? That you're a born-again child of God. That you too have received a covenant blessing from God. Why? Bottom line is, in all reality, you and I aren't that different from Jacob. We often do the same things he did. A difficult time comes into our lives and we think that God has deserted us. We face a time of extreme pain or serious illness. And what do we think? Well, God doesn't care about me. Our plans don't go quite as we expect. And so I say, well, God, why are you punishing me? What did I do? But in most cases, that's just fear. Fear is F-E-A-R. False Evidence appearing real. It's just fear. And often, fear can steal what God wants to give you. Do you know what the biggest product of fear is? The biggest product, the biggest thing that fear produces is procrastination. Putting off till tomorrow what needs to be done today. Is anybody here a procrastinator? We have a few honest people in here, amen? Here's what procrastination is. You're scared that you don't know how to do it. You're scared you don't know if you should do it. You're scared that uh, if what may happen might be the wrong decision, so what do you do? You just don't do it, amen? Just take a look at what happened as a result of Jacob's fear. They delay going back for more food for their family. Why? Fear. They prolong Simeon's imprisonment. Why? Fear. They delay a reunion with Joseph. Why? 
fear. If you're listening, say amen. amen. Fear can be one of the most serious barriers to God's best for your life. That false evidence appearing real can be one of the most serious barriers in your life. There are some of you here today who have allowed fear to keep you from trusting Jesus as your Savior. There are some of you who fear that you can't keep it up. You can't keep the Christian life up. You can't keep doing the things that God wants you to do. Well, I want to tell you, you know what? You can't. But I'll tell you this. God wants you to be the child of God he wants you to be. You're not going to be good enough. You never will be. But he loves you anyway. It may be afraid that you can't keep that kind of behavior up. You can't. But he will love you anyway. Maybe you're afraid, scared to step out in faith, to do something that God's called you to do. Maybe you're afraid to follow through with what you know God is leading you to do. Maybe you're afraid to share your faith for fear of what somebody might say to you. Maybe you're afraid to share your faith because you've got enough failures in your own closet. Amen? That all may be the truth. But that's no reason to fear. Do you know what the most common commandment in the Bible is? The most common commandment in the Bible is fear not. Fear not. Yet we let fear paralyze us in so many ways. Jacob responds with fear. Not only negatively, but he overreacts. Aren't you glad that none of us ever overreact to our circumstances? Have you ever made a mountain out of a molehill? Uh-huh. I certainly have. But rather than run the slightest risk of losing his new favorite son, Benjamin, Jacob's fear would have allowed Simeon to spend the rest of his life in prison. It was Jacob's doubting heart. Jacob's doubting heart that made him respond with fear. But there's something else. Jacob also refuses to depend on God. Refusing to depend on God expresses a bigger problem. Refusing to depend on God expresses the fact that you've got a doubting heart. Hey guys, hey. Refusing to depend in, on God expresses the fact that you have a doubting heart. So look into the mirror of God's word and see if God is trying to reveal to you that you might have a doubting heart. Because how many of you know that God always gets his way? Amen? God always gets his way. But how many of you know that it's much more painful if we don't let him have his way? Amen? God's always at work. And he's at work in this famine. At work in starvation. And he's not going let it, to let it up until what he wants done is done. A few months after they get home with the food, they're right back in serious trouble again. Follow along with me in chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass that when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father had said to them, Go back 
Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah, another son, Judah spoke to him and said, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Because of his fear, Jacob's first response, Ah, just put it off. Just put it off tomorrow. Maybe that problem will solve itself. Just put it off. He delays in taking action until this matter of this famine has reached a crisis. Now, I mentioned that the biggest product of fear is procrastination. But do you know what the biggest reason for procrastination is? In all reality, when you boil it away, the biggest reason for procrastination, for putting it off, is because you don't trust God. There's a lack of trust in God. We don't trust Him to be with us. We don't trust Him to guide us. We don't trust Him to strengthen us. And we don't really trust that He wants the very best for us. So what do we do? We just don't do it. We put it off. But Jacob finally decides that they must go back. They must go back for more food. But what does his son Judah say? He reminds him, hey, if we don't bring Benjamin, then we're not even going to see Joseph's face. We're not going to see this Egyptian governor's face, the one who gives us food. We've got to bring him back. And Judah's response is very straightforward in verse 4. He says, if you send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, then we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. That didn't work. So Jacob tries something else. Jacob tries to, to change their mind by blaming them. By blaming all of his sons for that situation. He basically says, hey, this is all your fault. You need to go fix it. This is all your fault. Look there in verse 6. And Israel, Jacob, said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? He says, why did you do this to me? He says, none of this would have happened if you had just kept your mouth shut about your little brother. But in all reality, what is Jacob doing here? He's basically chewing them out for telling the truth. He's chewing them out because they didn't lie. It seems to me that Jacob is still the deceiver that he was as a young boy. Do you remember when Jacob deceived his elder brother Esau and tricked him out of his birthright? Well, it seems that in times of stress, Jacob goes right back and returns to his old ways. I think sometimes we as Christians do the same thing. The brothers respond by saying, hey, Joseph was very specific. He asked us clear questions. And how in the world were we to know that he would make us bring Benjamin back with us? How would we to know, verse 7? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? There's no way they could have known. As I read these few verses in the beginning of chapter 43, something clicked in my mind. Something, something is happening to the boys. 
Something is happening to the brothers. God is beginning to do something in the lives of these men because they stand together. Notice in verse 7 that they said, they all came together and they said, they all took a stand together. And what are they standing for? They're taking a stand for truth. They take a stand for right living. They take a stand for telling the truth. But it's more than that. I noticed there at the end of chapter 42, uh, there in verse uh, 37, that Reuben offered both of his sons, both of his sons, if he didn't return with Benjamin. And then I noticed there in verse uh, 8, I believe it is, that Judah offers himself, offers himself as a guarantee of a successful mission to bring Benjamin and Simeon back to their father. Let's read verse 8. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself, will be the surety, the guarantee for him. From my hand shall you shall require him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame forever. Something is beginning to happen in these men. One by one, change is beginning to happen in the lives of these men. These men who were hard-hearted, these men who were self-centered, are now being a little softened. Perhaps for the first time in their life, for the first time in their life, I wonder, are these men beginning to put the happiness of someone else Ahead of their own happiness. Are you beginning to realize? Are you beginning to realize that the life you're living is more about others than it is about you? Are you beginning to see that your life is more about the happiness of others than it is about your own comfort and your own well-being? Are you becoming conscious of the fact That you are an instrument that God wants to use to touch the lives of many, many other people. Are you finally willing to put the happiness of others, maybe even strangers, ahead of your own happiness? If you are, 
then you are growing in Christ-likeness. And God is very pleased with you. If you're not becoming others-centered, why not? Why? Why aren't you? Are you scared? Is there false evidence appearing real that's in your life? I saw a sticker on the back of a redneck's pickup truck. It said, if you're scared, say so. Are you scared? Are you scared? Are you waiting for you to get the most out of this life before you sow into the lives of others? Have you adopted the mentality of our society that says, you know, as soon as I get my fill, then I'll start blessing others? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I love what Judah says next. Because I believe Judah put his finger right on his daddy's biggest problem. Procrastination. Verse 10. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned a second time. Judah reminds Jacob that if they hadn't have been so fearful of the what ifs, if they hadn't have been so unfaithful to God, they could have been to Egypt and back twice. And he urges his father to start acting like the responsible father God's called him to be. Men, if you're listening, say amen. There's a lesson there for you and I. Men, there's a lesson there for you and I. Let's stop thinking so much about ourselves. And let's start thinking of others more. If we as men would do it, our families would follow. Back in chapter 42, verse 36, we look at Jacob's comments. And they're laced with words like me and my and I. Look there in verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You've bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Verse 38. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother's already dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way which you go, then you, then you would bring me down, bring my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. But then I looked there in verse 8 of chapter 43, and I looked at, at Judah's comments. We, an hour, verse 8. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. 
Friend, peer, fear will paralyze you. And not depending on God will make you very self-centered. But both are symptoms of a much bigger issue. A doubting heart. There's a third point I want to bring. And that is that Jacob is reluctant to submit to God. Let's look at verse 11. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. Who's he talking about? What man? Say it loud if you know it. Joseph, that's right. A little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts. I love pistachio nuts, don't you? Pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your older, older brother and Benjamin. If I'm bereaved, I am bereaved. So although he's very hesitant, although he's very reluctant, Jacob finally decides to do the right thing. With his back against that proverbial wall, Jacob finally surrenders to God and says, Take Benjamin and go. And may God Almighty, El Shaddai, literally, be with you. And notice here that Jacob is called by his covenant name. His covenant name given to him by God. That name, Israel. For the first time, Jacob steps up as Israel, the covenant man of God. And he appeals to God as God Almighty, El Shaddai. And surrenders everything into God's hands. How I wish he would have just stopped right there. How I wish he would have stopped there. And his sons would have been living on their journey. Hearing the words El Shaddai ringing in their ears. What power that would have given them. Instead, Jacob adds, If I'm bereaved, I am bereaved. In other words, for me, nothing's left. I've lost everything. You guys probably won't make it back. And I will have lost all my sons. So Jacob dealt with his problems from the wrong perspective. He dealt with his problems with a doubting heart. Fear of the unknown. No trust in God. And no surrender to God's perfect plan. But there's something I want to share with you. Doubting, I've often heard, is not bad in itself. Because it causes you to search out the truth. But I've changed my tune on that a little bit. I believe that a doubting heart is a negative thing. Now, an uncertain heart, on the other hand, is something different. An uncertain heart seeks direction. But a doubting heart rejects the direction it's already received. There's a huge difference. If I'm uncertain and I don't know, then I will seek direction. But if I doubt, that just means I've already received instruction and I'm just unwilling to submit to it. Jacob dealt with problems all the wrong way. 
But that doesn't mean that you and I can't still learn from them. Because even though he dealt with them the wrong way, we can still learn from them and do things the right way. So I want you to learn from the things I'm about to share with you. Don't repeat them. Amen? Say, don't repeat them. Say it louder. Don't repeat them, but learn from them. Amen? Because I want to share with you Jacob's seven laws of problem management. The first thing that I want you to learn from, but don't repeat, is from Jacob's point of view, he would say, never deal with today what can successfully be put off till tomorrow. Amen? He was a procrastinator. Jacob's not the only one with this problem of procrastination, and it is a problem, amen? Procrastination is a problem, not only with your homework, not only with your, your, your work at work, but procrastination is a problem with the decisions we make. Many Christians all, all have the same issues as Jacob did. But the things that are not dealt with today are hardly ever better tomorrow. Second law of Jacob's problem management. He said no problem can possibly be as bad as it seems. But I think you would have to agree with me that if you have an an infection, if it's addressed immediately, it's going to heal better and it's going to heal faster than if you allow it to fester. Amen? Deal with problems the minute you see them. A third law of problem management according to Jacob. In his eyes, honesty is never the best policy. But you and I know, and CIA spent a whole month talking about this verse, that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his what? Are his delight. Amen. So honesty is the best policy. The fourth law of Jacob's problem management is this. Remember to always look out for your, first, your own interests first. That's the way he did it. But just think, what if Jesus had been self-centered that way? What if Jesus had been looking out for his own interests first? Do you know that if Jesus had done that, heaven would not even be an option for you and I? Let's follow his example and be others-centered. Jacob's fifth law of problem management. He says, as much as possible, make sure that you shift the blame to somebody else. We know that not to be true. But we ought to take responsibility for our mistakes so that we can enjoy the blessings of success. Jacob's sixth law of problem management. And the federal government is real good at this one. If our best efforts to solve a problem fail throw money at it. Amen? That's the way our government often thinks. They see a problem, you throw enough money at it, it'll go away. Friend, don't believe that for a second. Don't believe that for a second. If you see a need, and I guarantee you, you see needs every day. If you see a need, don't just go and throw money at it. That's not going to solve the problem. Take the time to be the instrument that God uses to address the real need. Last one. Jacob's law number seven, problem management. Just the way he thought about it. He said, when all other avenues fail, then trust God. We're much too like Jacob. Entirely much too like him. Troubles come and we view them strictly from a human perspective. 
We tend to leave God out of the picture until our back is against the wall and we have nowhere else to turn. Friend, as these brothers journeyed back to Egypt, God continued to prepare them for something they really needed. And that something that they really needed was forgiveness for what they'd done against Joseph. Maybe God is preparing you for something. Maybe he's preparing you for something great. Before he gives it to you, you're going to have to overcome your fear. Maybe God's preparing you for something awesome, but before you do that, you're going to have to overcome your lack of dependence on him. Maybe God's preparing you for something incredible, but before he does it, you're going to have to overcome your unwillingness to submit to him. Maybe you need forgiveness. That's where salvation in Christ Jesus begins, is with forgiveness of sin. All I can say to you right now, that if you're in need of forgiveness of sin, don't doubt that God can be the forgiver. If you've never had your sins forgiven, don't you doubt for a second that Jesus can't forgive even the worst sin. I've heard people say, Brother Bill, I can't be forgiven for what I've done. My sin's too bad. But that's not true. God will forgive each and every sin. The sin of yesterday, the sins you'll commit today, and the sins of the future. All you must do is respond by faith. And don't doubt. Let's pray.